2: What is up, Bills Mafia? A special afternoon edition of the Shout Buffalo Bills Football Podcast, brought to you by Syracuse.com. Joined as always by my co-host Ryan Talbot. I'm Matt Perino, and we have a special guest for you. As soon as we put this out a couple days ago, we had been teasing it for a couple of weeks, and we've been working out the details. I started to see the excitement, you know, through throughout Bills Mafia social media. And it's always great uh, to have a former Bill on the show. And this one in particular, you're going to enjoy. Mr. Doug Flutie, how are you, sir?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks. How's it going?
2: Not too bad. Not too bad. It's been... uh, The weather's shifting
1: up there. you still got a white floor around. Is it still snowing? Yeah. It's still white.
0: (laughs) Today. Today, it was hailing about an hour ago when I was outside. I took my uh, I took
2: my my son and daughter outside because they love shoveling and it was it was a mixture of snow and what was kind of like slush. It, it, it's a real mess out here right now.
1: Uh, all right, how'd you pull that one off? They love <laughs> shoveling. Where do you make it a game and decide that this was a fun activity and you guys got to learn to do this. This is awesome. <laughs> my,
2: son, my son was in the middle of virtual class. He was trying to finish his homework, and my wife said he went so fast to finish it so he can get out there to start shoveling. So I'm not messing with it.
0: Hey,
1: go with it. It's a great act- – hey, it's a workout.
2: So um, thank you so much for coming on here, and it's been a busy couple weeks, couple months for you as you've launched your own show uh, fl- uh, the Flutie Flakes cast. How's it going? How are you enjoying it,
1: it? It it's been, I was a nervous wreck about doing it. I've never been a host of anything. I like people asking me the question and then I can talk and I can tell, go into a story and I, this is a little different. I got to do my prep work and be ready. So I was a little anxious about it, but I've had unbelievable guests. I mean, that's the number one thing. Um, this week I had Ian Book on because I know him real well from Notre Dame days, and, and he's getting ready for the draft. But, I mean, Kurt Warner, Jim Kelly, uh, Warren Moon, Archie Manning, you name it. I, it's been a great list. Tim Tebow. And um, we just get talking, and it's been great because we just start – it's a conversation. It's about things off the field. It's me talking a little bit about the sharks that I see all the time surfing. And and I was talking <laughs> with Gronk, and Gronk did Shark Week. And he's really? like, no, dude, we were in the water with the sharks. There was no cages. We were like this. That. So um, a lot of fun conversation. Things come up that I just, so I, it's, it's gone great. It's gone great. I've been excited about it.
0: That's I actually, oh, go ahead, Ryan. I actually just finished listening to your episode with Ian Book. Uh, outstanding conversation between the two of you. Really good uh, talk as well that you had on Julian Edelman and that chip on his shoulder. So really enjoying the podcast here. Uh, but you know, since the name of it, Flutie Flakes cast, I I would be remiss if I did not bring up Flutie Flakes. You were back in Buffalo recently uh, for a Bill's Ravens game, 20th anniversary. What do you remember about that phenomenon with Flutie Flakes itself in terms of, I was talking with Matt before the show, it was so hard to find a box of that cereal at times when we were growing up. You know,
1: I was in the midst of trying to earn my keep right? Came back from Canada eight years out of the league. I'm getting an opportunity. This was an endorsement thing that I did during the offseason before I even signed with Buffalo. And all of a sudden it got delayed. It was supposed to launch before the season. And then the timing of me taking the field and becoming the starter and the launch of the Flutie Flakes box, it was a perfect storm. I started winning. We started winning as a team Chris Berman ate them on his Sunday night show on sports center. So it was like off and run. We sold a couple million. They were, they told me going into it, if we sold 200,000 units, that would set a record for what they've done with other clients. We sold two and a half million that year. We've sold close to four and a half million total. Um, And all the money's gone towards the foundation with autism, you know, with with my son Dougie and for our foundation and, Floody flakes alone has raised close to two million dollars for our foundation
0: unbelievable even in pop culture i think it was on the refrigerator and everyone loves raymond i think like things like that too if i remember correctly so i mean it was everywhere at that time. raymond
1: friends seinfeld a show called jesse that um what's her name what's in there christina applegate did set in buffalo um Yeah, some buddies of mine actually worked in product placement out in L.A. that I played ball with, and I didn't know that's how they got there initially. I actually ran into them later, and they told me that they were the ones that did it. Um, And uh, they got it on all the sets. I love, we still still watch all the episodes of Friends. And I don't know what season it was, but all of a sudden, there's the Flirty Flakes box. There's the Chargers box. (laughs) Yeah, it's, It's funny. I don't know. It was it became quite the phenomenon. So I believe that everyone that's done a cereal since I need a commission. What do you think?
2: (laughs) Good call. What have you tried? I I think that's a great call. Actually, have you tried Josh's Josh Allen cereal at all?
1: I have not. I saw that he had one out. Um, I guess if I were up in the area, I would I would grab it. I don't know. Was that on on a national scale? Was it being sold uh, outside of Buffalo?
2: No, not yet, not, not yet, yet but, but people are sending it back, you know, all over the place, you know, there, there's a lot of excitement amongst Bill's fans.
1: What kind of cereal, I mean, what is what is it?
2: Uh, Ryan, have you, have you tried it? It kind of looks like... Um, it's like a Fruit Loops, it's a it's Josh's like Jack's,
1: yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fruit Loops are awesome. See, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still a sugar cereal guy, so the only problem with Fruit Loops is they can rip up the roof of your mouth, yeah. can, and Captain Crunch. Uh, my wife, Jim, my wife Kelly swears. Crunch, like, did, did Jim? Didn't Jim do Kelly Crunch?
2: Yeah, yes. he did. I can't eat Captain Crunch. My wife will kill bowls of it, and I'm like, how do you do that? She could have two bowls in one day, and she's fine. I don't get it. Um, speaking of which, though, you're talking about just the phenomenon of Flutie Flakes. You know, I was watching um, Steve Kornacki, who was you know got real popular during the presidential election. He was doing kind of the the board on CNN and all this kind of stuff. Um, And then I brought him on to a Sunday night football game. And, you know, he started doing some interviews. He did Peter King and he, he talked about what got him involved in, in football. And he said, I've always been a Patriots fan, but more than anything, I'm a Doug Flutie fan. Like he made me love the game. And he said so much so that he grew up a Patriots fan and became a bills fan. When you were with the bills, obviously in the nineties, when you hear stuff like that, I mean, even after all these years, it's gotta be pretty cool.
1: That's it's really cool. And you know, you, I, especially for me, I was—I always felt like I was trying to prove myself and just make a roster and earn my keep and and all that. And you hear stories like that, and it really makes you feel good about you know the way you played the game and the approach. And and you realize how many great people there are out there as far as just true fans. I had a story of a one of the women that works at NBC came up to me, and um, I work for NBC now and have for about 15 years. Um, she goes oh we were the same class well i was a couple of years behind you but it was at bc when you were there and the night you won the heisman the whole campus everybody gathered in common areas to watch it right everybody went to and just before the announcement you could have heard a pin drop across campus and there was not a peak and then the whole when when it was announced it just the whole campus erupted everybody was outside kind of partying. it. i never knew that i learned that like 30 35 years later Wow. You know, you never know how your peers are perceiving you or, view, you know, same principle for me back in college days. I'm trying to make grades. I was a very good student and I'm just trying to play football and win. And, and you're, you got this laser foot and you don't really know how you're being viewed by the people around you. So when you hear the stories years later, really heartwarming, really cool.
2: Um, let's switch gears a little bit here. Um, there's a bunch of stuff I want to cover with you in, in the time that we have you. Um, but I think one of the coolest things about what's going on with the bills now and the success of Josh Allen is even as this like prototypical quarterback size arm and all that kind of stuff, he plays a lot like, like you did and It's gotta be so cool to, to watch it from a distance and somebody that, you know, you were pretty complimentary on early on in the process to see how he's developed. And what are your impressions now watching the season that he just had?
1: I, I, I love his approach to the game and his heart. Um, you know, he's a much bigger guy than I am and he's a good size quarterback, but he runs hard. He he'll take off will make plays with his legs, extend plays and, I mean, when you go back and view the five big plays of a game, it's not always chalkboard correct and exactly as planned. You know, it's the buying Mahomes stuff. You know, you buy a little extra time, a guy makes a move, and all of a sudden now you got the big play up the field, um, the, the, the times that the quarterback can take off and pick up a first down to keep drives alive, all that stuff. And what I love about Josh is it, it hasn't been an easy road, right? I mean, it started out, there were question marks. He wasn't a phenomenon right away, but he's gotten better. He's worked his tail off and he's getting better and better and getting better at protecting the football and all the little things. So there's this improvement that's continuing to go on. And that is exciting because I think, and I think the bills fans have got to realize this wasn't a one year deal this year. I, I honestly believe that this is going to be a fun little run and Josh is going to be, the Bills quarterback for, for a handful of years here where, uh, they, they've got some, they got a chance to make some noise and it's really going to be fun for the Bills fans.
0: You know, in less than two weeks, there's going to be a lot of teams looking for their next Josh Allen, looking for that franchise quarterback. And after listening to your most recent podcast, I think I might know one of the answers to this question, but are there any quarterbacks in this class that you really like?
1: I I love Trevor Lawrence. He's going to be number one. There's no doubt. You know, it, it just, um, it, it just, he amazed me from day one as a freshman, the things he did on a big stage, pressure situations. You get past him, Justin Fields is a big question mark. I mean, he had an unbelievable game in the, uh, the college football playoffs. Uh, all of a sudden turned that switch, showed his heart, showed his toughness. But he's a variable because you've seen him look very average at times. I'm not a big guy for watching these guys run around at the combine or a pro day in their underwear and throw the football and look like world beaters. <laughs> I like going back, watching their game film. How do they handle pressure situations? How did they handle the big games? How do they handle all that? Uh, the guy that really um, doesn't wow people, but is just solid as a rock. And they're going to be great. Or I believe is Mac Jones. I believe Mac does every, he happened to, he's on Alabama. He becomes a starting quarterback. You know the 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 bar is set to go undefeated. He does it. You know he he just he's done everything he needed to do, um, and he he makes it look easy. Now he's had big time, phenomenal wide receivers. That's the only variable with him. It's like could he have done that with an average group of receivers at the college level? I think he does. Now I, his accuracy is second to none, and and all that. There's a bunch of guys that are. Kind of toss up guys. I had Ian Book on my podcast. And I love Ian because I've been around him. I love the kid himself. And I know he's kind of like me. He's a guy that had to prove himself at every level. He's a guy that wasn't expected to become a starter at Notre Dame, made himself a starter, never got taken off the field, earned the spot, kept it. One big his very first game he steps on the field for real is against LSU in the bowl game, uh, 2017 maybe. Um, and he comes off the bench to, to bring him from behind and win that game on a big stage. Now, Notre Dame struggled in the college football playoffs, but it's not because of being booked. It's because, you know, the team they're playing is Alabama or a team that that's just a half a notch above them and they get beat. So I, I wonder if Ian is going to be a franchise guy. I don't know that he'll get to that point. I don't know if he will get that kind of opportunity, but he's the type of guy that can stick around a long time as a backup. And every time he steps on the field, he's going to do well. He's going to be, a, I, I, I see him as a Ryan Fitzpatrick type guy that can be a band aid for some team and win. And they keep trying to make the other guy the starter, that type of situation.
2: Let me ask you this. You look at all these quarterbacks that are coming out, like that, just take the top five, for instance. And Mac Jones is kind of like the outlier, like the one of the five that really doesn't move around a lot. I mean, he's going to probably be pretty stationary back there, look to use his precision how much has the game evolved that now that guy is the outlier back? I mean, yeah. in the eighties and nineties, it was that guy, that, that was the traditional, you know, style of quarterback.
1: Great point. Great point. Um God, I'd love to be coming out today. I, <laughs> I wish, you know, you, you just, uh, you see the success of Kyler Murray and Kyler and I talked at, at Heisman, whatever, it was a couple of years ago? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, he's, he's my build he's small you know he he can throw the ball though. He can hit the deep throw he can put it up so the athleticism to me always been a been a bonus been a positive been the thing to fall back the the bottom line is you have to be able to win from the pocket in the nfl if you Mm -hmm. can't win from the pocket they're going to make you win from the pocket then once you can throw the ball from there the zone reads the wide receiver screen stuff the uh quarterback runs and all that extra stuff that's a bonus that makes them have to defend the entire field and defend everything so i i love i love that aspect of it that's the way i played in canada to see someone that is a prototypical quarterback be the outside guy now and they wonder see that, that with mac Jones, Mac's that more than athletic enough to do the other stuff mm-hmm. maybe he's not he's not going to take off on the 70 yard run for a touchdown but but he can do the other stuff well enough to pick up the first downs, move the football, do the quarterback runs and the zone read and all that. I, I think, I think he'll be just fine athletically, um, but he's not going to be a dynamic uh, take off and run with the ball. That's the thing that, and I, I said that about Ian Book a lot when he was in Notre Dame that uh, he replaced a guy named Brandon Wimbush who Brandon Wimbush was just a pure athlete, phenomenal, had all these sixty yard runs, fifty yard runs, seventy. 70- and then when Ian went to quarterback, people were like, "Well, you know, he's not the athlete." Well, no, but you know what? He ran for more first downs than Brandon did. He had a lot of big plays. He ran for a bunch of touchdowns. He, he maybe he's not going to wow you with that eighty-yard touchdown run, but and that's the way I view mad. Mac Mac is very athletic. He'll still be able to do the running for first downs, and but it, it and it shows you how great Tom Brady is to mm-hmm. do what he did. You know, without having to do the other aspect, he still finds a way to win.
2: How much would you – this just occurred to me, actually, before the show as I was starting to kind of put together the outline. You look at some of the innovative minds of the game today. I mean, Sean McVay is a guy that obviously – Brian Dable in Buffalo. Guys that, you know, really transform their offense because of the way that they're able to put their players in positions to win. Do you look back at your career and wonder maybe what would have been earlier had you kind of aligned with one of those kind of people that could – maybe have the forward thinking to know, okay, I have an athletic guy that could throw the ball down the field and make plays. This is what I'm going to do with him.
1: Absolutely. I, I think about it all the time. Cause that's what we did in Canada. When I went to Canada, mm-hmm. I ran my own show. I got my butt back in the shotgun. We spread it out. I used myself as a runner and we threw for 6,000 yards a year. We, we threw for ridiculous every year. We threw for ridiculous yards, touchdowns, blah, blah, blah. I said all these numbers. When I came to Buffalo, Joe Pendry, uh, was our offensive coordinator, and, and saw some of the things that I did well. I got in shotgun a little bit. And then after the second year, Aaron, we started doing some empty stuff and spreading it out. And that's where Eric Moulds just came into his own because I could put him in the slot and run, do all these things. Mm-hmm. And the field was so much easier for me to see. So when Drew left San Diego and went to, Sandy, uh, went to New Orleans to get up with Sean Payton, To throw the ball, I I I text Drew a year or two later, and uh, I said, "Do you realize how many yards you're throwing for?" He goes, "Flukes." We throw the ball a lot. (laughs) We throw the ball, and you know they spread it out. He gets in the gun. The height's not as big of a deal when you're in the gun because you're further away from that line of scrimmage, and you can. When you take a quick, when you're under center, you take a quick three-step, five-step drop. It can look like a wall in front of you. When you're in the gun, it's not. Yes, your footwork is a little bit regimented, but you're sliding a little bit. And th- these lanes open up from back there and you can keep your separation, which allows things to open up. And then, of course, the spread passing game that, and all the innovative things they do. But I think the number one thing is spreading out defenses and being in the gun makes it so much easier on a shorter quarterback.
0: Yeah, it's very true. Now, Doug, transitioning again. On social media, I see you with your Batmobile all wasn't, the time. Wasn't me. <laughs> so,
1: uh, well, where's my guys? Where's my guys? There's Batman. Batman's wearing Brady today.
0: There you all go. Right? Very and, nice. And uh,
1: Robin over here. Robin has uh, Drew Brees. Well, I put, Drew went up when he retired. Uh, there you go. I actually... I we stumbled onto a website my wife did actually and we joked about it. they made replicas and we joked about it for nine years because i loved the the batman i wasn't a batman comic book geek guy but i loved the batmobile and Mm -hmm. i'm like geez these people really build that so we looked at it it was going to take way too long so i looked around i wound up buying a used one completely restored it an old one from way back and uh i just drove it today it's like i put a corvette engine in it it's on a corvette chassis now and it it, it goes so it's become a reliable Chris, i'm like heck i'm driving we got a whole nother episode involved if we want to go to for the bat cave because i had two <laughs> wow. years waiting for this car to be finished right so everybody bought me batman gifts all the dvds memorabilia you name it i've got a pinball machine uh a video game, a driving so anyway, that whole garage area is my nineteen and it it looks like the nineteen sixty six Batcave.
0: That's awesome. See now, but if you're driving the Batmobile, you're Batman. So going back to your time in Buffalo, who was your Robin on the field and off the field?
1: Uh probably I I gotta say Eric Mullins because he's the one that, that kept put me in a position Saved my ass a thousand times. Uh, it's like, if you if everybody's covered, just put it up there. <laughs> if, if he's covered, put it up. If he's one on one, put it up. If he's man to man, put it up. If he's double, oh shoot! Go ahead, throw it up. See what? The one play that irks me. We he had Eric had like 275 yards against the Dolphins in the playoff game. We go down. We should have scored the touchdown. We get a penalty and backed up. We had to kick the field goal first. Got the onside kick. We need to stick it in the end zone. And we got down to the three-yard line. And I had Eric on the back side. He individual routes over here. And we had three receivers to the right. And they kept bracketing him and doubling him. And I couldn't find a way to get him the ball. I wish we had moved him in motion, put him in the slot, and done something to get – because he was – all you got to do is put the ball near him. And he was going to make the play, and we just couldn't couldn't find a way to get him singled up. But he was he was the guy that he got me to the Pro Bowl, had two great seasons that helped us get to the playoffs. And actually, Eric and I just reconnected this year. Um, I forget when it was over, but um, maybe we did a podcast together or something with with the Bills. And uh, really, you know, just we played a lot of basketball in the off seasons. We got to know each other, so it, it was it was really good.
2: You, you mentioned him already on the show, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I, I'm curious to get your 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 takeaway from his run through the league here. And in a lot of ways, I mean, he's had a couple opportunities, but really it's like he's, he's stifled everywhere he goes, it seems like. And he, in a lot of situations that you think he probably shouldn't be.
1: He is viewed, as I was viewed, as a band-aid, as a guy that can come in, a veteran guy, can help us win. He's going to help us win. He's a placeholder. Uh, who we can draft? Who we bringing in? Can we bring? It, should we have him groom this guy? Okay, it's okay. We've won five in a row, but that's all right. Here you go, young kid. Get in there. You know, it's like mm-hmm. he was having the season of his life, and they still make the, the switch to Tua. Um, you know, we've also seen him throw five interceptions and a half. I mean, you know, <laughs> if you're if you're gonna play the game the way he, I remember. Uh, with miami this year coming off the bench late in the game had to do the two minute offense and it was just <laughs> and they're balls that you would not throw early in the game because it was too tight a window you never should have thrown that ball it was too rich but in the, those situations it's like turn it loose and go um he's that way from beginning to end and mm-hmm. with that as with me at times you're going to get some turnovers um but I, I love him to death. I love the way he plays a game, his attitude about it. Uh, you know, it just there's, it's if if there guy if there were a guy that was a first round draft choice, came in as a rookie, and played the way he's played or first second year played the way he is, they make him their franchise guy, right? I mean, he's just there for 15 years, and that's all there is to it. And uh, it didn't happen that way for him. He went to Harvard. He wasn't a top draft choice. Blah blah blah. And uh, you just you earn your keep. I remember talking with Steve Grogan about it. Steve Grogan and I played together in the late '80s. Tony Eason was the number one pick and the starting quarterback. And Groggs, he said two things: no matter how well we play, we don't replace him, and no matter how well we play, we'll never make as much money as he's making. And that was just the way it was. <laughs> you know, you'll do, even if you have a great year and you get a good contract, you don't—you're never going to catch up. It's just not going to yeah.
0: happen. You know, you actually mentioned, uh, Grogan, on your latest podcast, too, about how he mentioned that you kept playing because you had something to prove. And that kind of takes me back then to your Buffalo days and the whole Flutie-Johnson uh, debate, because that was another big debate in Buffalo yeah. at that time. What do you think back on when you think back on that, those competitions?
1: Um, I was just thankful to hit the field. That was more than anything. Um, Rob got banged up a number of times, and I got a chance to get on the field and prove not just to myself, but everyone, that, yes, I belong in the NFL and I can do this. The the things I remember about my Buffalo game, my relationships with the guys, getting to a Pro Bowl and going to the playoffs two years in a row. Um, Very frustrating in the last one to to play 15 games and... uh, put us into the playoffs and then not start that, that no doubt about it. That's frustrating. But even when Rob was named, you know, when they decided to go with Rob, I thought for sure, because Rob had a tendency to get banged up that there would be a comp. We were a very good football team. We had a great defense. Hmm. And I thought for sure that it would take both of us as it, the way it was going to, to get to where we wanted to get, but we were going to get there. I thought we'd make a, a, a strong playoff run, have a shot at getting to a Super Bowl, and it would probably take both of us to do it. That that was my attitude once they, once they uh, said that Rob would start that playoff game, and I firmly—if it's not for a Music City miracle—maybe um, I'm starting the next week. Maybe I'm playing a lot the next week, and we're back. Yeah, whatever it might have been, um, and that's just the way I viewed it. it, it no doubt it was frustrating, but. I I love my experience in Buffalo. The fans, um, people parking in RVs in the parking lot on Wednesday (laughs) night before home game on Sunday. I'm like, people go on vacation to the parking lot. I I used to go to Uncle Joe's Diner all the time right down the road, and people knew. In fact, when I went back for the game a year ago or whatever it was, a year and a half ago, um, usually on Friday night when I got – I had a Friday night, I'd always go to Uncle Joe's and I'd get the roast mm-hmm. turkey dinner. And then we're playing on, you know, we're at the hotel or whatever on Saturday and game on Sunday. And they knew I was in town because I'd done a couple of appearances. There were still a couple of waitresses that work at Uncle Joe's that worked 20 years ago there. And <laughs> I, I was driving to the stadium Sunday morning early. I got my agent in the car, I'm running late to, I go, no, we gotta stop at Uncle Joe's. You don't understand. I gotta at least go in and say hi, right? So we pulled the car and I stopped, I run in. The same cook, two of the waitresses are there. And uh, there was Paula, the cook. Paula's like, where were you Friday night? We expected you to be here on Friday night. You didn't show up on, you always coming on Friday nights. What happened? I go, talk to her, because my agent had set something up I had to be at. And I knew it. I, I knew it. we didn't talk, I didn't text, I didn't call, but it was an understanding that I was supposed to be there.
0: Was, That's fantastic. which is just
1: a cool cool thing 25 years later whatever it is
0: i i did want to ask you one question about the frustration you said they told you they were going with rob did you ever get an understanding of who they was where that decision officially came from
1: um i felt like i knew i didn't know for sure until a few years later um I went through a very, very similar situation in New England in 88 where I had a stint where I went in start, got us in the mix, uh, won a bunch of games. We're going to go to the playoffs if we beat Denver in the last game of the regular season. They put Tony back in as starter. We lose to Denver. We don't even go to the playoffs. Um, very parallel to what was happening. Uh, and I told my wife as soon as I had tweaked my knee the week before, and they were using that as an excuse to play rough. On, uh, against indianapolis in the last regular season mm-hmm. game and i said to her I, I said to them i said i'm fine no i don't want to sit no we're going to arrest you that rob flip up, up i went home i said well they're doing it again and she's like what i go they're going to play rob this week and they'll start him in the playoffs and they hadn't said that she's like you're crazy they're not going to do that it's like i trust me i got a feel for you and um sure enough that was the way it went you know Wade came to me on Monday morning after Rob played well against Indy. I will say that Indy was a good team that year, but they sat a lot of starters in a meaningless game. Um, Rob played well. Rob's announced a starter. And Wade had the conversation with me. And I knew how Wade felt about me as a quarterback. I knew how Wade felt about the team. Uh, and I knew it wasn't his decision. And And come to find out, it was Ralph Wilson you know, came down from the top that they've been spending this money on Rob, that Rob was the guy they really wanted, you know, like I said, with Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's the guy they want to be the franchise guy. I'm an old guy just kind of hanging on for a little bit. And um, I didn't know when Wade became our defensive coordinator out in uh, San Diego, he and I sat down and talked about it, and he explained that whole situation. And, yeah, I had no anim- animosity towards Wade at all. I love Wade. Wade's Wade's I absolutely love Wade Phillips, um, and it's just, just the way it was, and it's the way the NFL works. It's like if one guy finishes, the year as the starter, and that's the way way back in 88. If I finished that last regular season game as the starter, the next year they should be paying me starter money. If the starter's healthy, right? the starter's mm-hmm. healthy and you're playing ahead of them, they should be paying you starter money. So Rob was making a lot more money than I was, and I actually did redo my deal and was making good money, but um, it's it just one of those things that happened. But like I said, I thought it was going to take both of us to get to the Super Bowl. And I was fully expecting to make that kind of run.
2: Well, I got to tell you, I have an admission to make on this show. And, I, and I, anybody that knows me knows I grew up a, a diehard Bills fan. I now cover the team for a living. Uh, so obviously that dynamic has changed a little bit. I was a huge Rob Johnson guy. Huge. Like I, I through and through, I thought Rob Johnson should be the quarterback as I've gotten older and I've looked back and and studied the game in a different way, like when you're a young fan, you don't, you don't watch the game. Like, you know, I watch it now as, as somebody that does it for a living and covers it and talks to people that know the game. Like I think what I've come to realize is the big reason why, and I'm wondering if this wasn't why they made that decision when they made it was because they traded a first round pick for Rob Johnson. And to me, the moment they did that, it was like this guy better work. Come hell or high water, he better work. And what's funny about it now, you mentioned like who you were and like the, the way that you know you, you know the teammates loved you and everything like that. I've listened to Rob Johnson interviews that he's done since that day, and you know I don't hear any of those kinds of you know stories about Rob Johnson and what he meant to guys in the room. And so you know when you look back on the bill, I, I I will fully admit on this show now I was one hundred percent wrong. But I think if you look back, I, I think that evaluators and, and front office people, that was a lesson that was learned in that era about how to handle quarterbacks and how to evaluate quarterbacks. Because looking forward now, we talk to Brandon Bean every week, uh, every year about the draft and how they evaluate guys. And one of the big things that comes back is what do their teammates say about them? And I think if maybe they paid a little bit more attention to that in that moment, that that group that you talked about that was so good – could have had a lot more success. I appreciate
1: that. And, um, you know, one of the moments, and, and I don't think anything of it, but we were playing the Jets on a Sunday night, I think it was. And we were about the 20-yard line going in, and I hand off to Antoine Smith, and I carry out my bootleg fit. Well, Antoine bounces off and reverses field, comes around, and I throw a block one Mo Lewis, outside linebacker for the Jets, and I got Mo Lewis to the ground. Well, I thought <laughs> I threw a really good cut block come to watch the film, I go in front of him, got a piece of him, he he tripped over me, falling down, chasing the play. But, um, you know, Antoine sprints the end zone and puts the ball down and sprints back to me. And the guys were, you know, those little things, and I don't, you know, I'm just trying to do whatever I can to win a game. But those little things like that that I did made such an impression on, it's, and Antoine said to me, he's like, look, if this 170-pound guy is cutting their 240-pound outside linebacker and getting them to the ground. The least I can do is play my hardest and play my heart out and, and knock the crap out of somebody. And and that, you know, that's the little the little the other aspect of what I think I brought, and this was back in the 80s. We threw the ball with New England when we were doing that that little streak we were winning. I had games I was five of ten, nine out of eleven, seven of fourteen. Under 100 yards, I think I set a record for most games won with under 100 yards passing. And it, it was stupid. But what what you did was we ran some naked bootlegs. We kept people home. They were afraid to blitz me. And we ran the ball down their throat because they worry about it. You, know, you put Kyler Murray, at quarterback, or Michael Vick, a quarterback, they are not going to chase the running play as quickly. And mm. all of a sudden, the run game's better. Now, we're rushing for 200 yards a game, and we're – we're doing these stupid little things that you don't really realize. It's because there's an athlete, a quarterback, and they aren't—they're not going to play what we call fifty-five or or two deep man under. You know, they'll do that all day against Tom Brady. They'll play man to man underneath for the two. They won't do that against a guy that's going to take off and run on them. They're not going to mm-hmm. do certain things. So even though your stats may be mediocre sometimes, and you just, it doesn't really appear like you're throwing the ball great, there's other things that 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 factor into it that. I really didn't even realize at the time, but we ran the ball great.
0: Hmm. Absolutely. So now post-career, is it safe to say you're almost just as busy, if not more busy, because new podcast, uh, Celebrity Sweat Flag football game. I'm watching it with my son. He's a big wrestling fan. You win the 24-7 title. He's freaking out about that. So you're doing that a little bit. Uh, Your video game. So – you're staying pretty busy these days.
1: You know, you, you, you try to do some some things that are going to um, uh, bring in a little money on the side where you're not having to work too hard. But you still got to have your face out there and do things. And I still like to be involved in NBC and the Notre Dame broadcast and part of that. So I'm going to do a, a couple of studio dates with them. Uh, the podcast is something, I'm in, in this room, I'm at home, I come in here, I do about an hour worth of prep and I do about an hour on air and I'm done for the week. So it's pretty easy. I like my downtime. I do like my downtime. I say no to a lot of stuff, but it seems like every day I got something go, I got to get on, I got to do this or got to do that, or you got to jump on a plane. And um, COVID taught us all though, that we can zoom and be home and, and it's, it can be pretty easy so I hope that carries over. Um, but you know, you, you, you over the years you build a, a brand for yourself and you hope that, uh, you can have some passive income in the, in your later years. Um, what else, I, you know, I've got a restaurant up in, uh, Plainville near Foxborough near the stadium about, you know, if few it's a, it's actually a casino and I have the main restaurant in the casino, um, Plainbridge park casino, uh, so you know, little things on the side, stuff that's passive income, and then I like to be a kid. I got a hockey game tonight. I'm in that. <laughs> I got bumped nice. up. Look, I'm a hack, right? I'm a hack. <laughs> I'm in that on the B league, whatever it is. Somebody's sick or has a broken thumb or something, can't play tonight, so I'm filling in in the, the the top. Not that I don't think this is the top, but a much better league. So I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. Well,
2: have somebody, you know, listen, it's 2021. Have somebody record that, send it to the Pagulas, and who knows, maybe you can be a <laughs> Buffalo Sabres goalie because it hasn't been the best season for them. So you never know. Oh,
1: hey, I was when, when I was in Buffalo, it was the Dominic Hasek year. Mm. Oh, my God. Have, go the online goat. on YouTube and watch a highlight film of Dominic Hasek. It's unbelievable save. The stuff he did was nuts. And the one thing I've taken from him, is you make a paddle save, right? The paddle goes down, puck comes like bang, and it's hard to cover it right away. What he would do is make that paddle, drop the stick, and just grab it with his bare hand. Mm. I love it. It's like light light bulb idea.
2: Pick it up. <laughs> the, the, it. Anyway, the, I
1: loved watching him play.
2: Yeah, those were uh, the, the glory days there. And, you know, speaking of the glory days, if you want to relive it, the Flutie Flakes cast – with Doug Flutie is on uh XM uh, serious radio. It is uh, it's already been an unbelievable uh, number of guests. Uh, he's had uh, pro football hall of famers, Jim Kelly, Brett Favre, Kurt Warner, Dan Fouts, Warren moon, uh, Phil Sims, Joe Theismann, Rob Gronkowski. I mean, really we could we could go I through know. this whole thing. It's pretty awesome stuff.
1: So lucky to have those guys come on, you know, and, and it really, that's, that's, that's part. And, and you start talking, and I love talking with the older guys. Warren Moon and I start talking about locker rooms in Canada and in Saskatchewan. In Saskatchewan's locker room, right, this is pro football, right? They have a bench against the wall, cement, like a, a room probably size of a bedroom, right? So bench, they put a two-by-four on the wall and nails sticking out of it. Those were your hangers. Those were your lockers. <laughs> Winnipeg would turn their hot water off on the opposing team on the visiting team to save the money on the hot water and they'd have six shower heads and only two work for like 50 guys right it's just some of that I I had a blast never changed a thing about playing in I absolutely love my days in Canada, but it made for fun stories some of the older guys in the stores you know Archie had those same kind of stories about the NFL.
2: Well, we know that a ton of Buffalo Bills fans are going to flock to this thing. Uh, we wish you all the best of luck. Thank you so much for taking the time today, my friend. Uh, it, it, continue to enjoy uh, every day because it seems like you're having a blast.
1: Trying to. Trying to be a kid. Thanks so much, all right. guys. Thanks. Everybody, everybody in Buffalo. Take care, Doug. Take
2: care. All right. That was awesome. Um, Doug Flutie. Uh, former Buffalo Bills quarterback, CFL legend. I mean, really football legend. Uh, all the things that he's done. One of the most iconic plays in the the history of uh, college football. Ryan, I got to apologize to everybody. The, the audio was a little bit rough. We were trying to figure things out before the start of the show, so I appreciate everybody that kind of made it through with us, hopefully, uh, you know, for whatever reason, sometimes we do these things, Ryan, and the and the audio doesn't work right. But the 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 conversation was so good, I didn't want to like break it up or, or redo it or or anything like that. You kind of just got to you know plug through those ones. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go on a little bit more here, Ryan, because yesterday was Brandon Bean's press conference, and we want to uh, add a little reaction to that. So I think just to start off with, um, let's do some housekeeping before we get into the Brandon Bean uh, press conference from yesterday. Uh, We have another show tomorrow. It's another live mock draft. We're bringing on, and listen, stay with us here. We're bringing on Mike Rodak, former ESPN reporter, now with AL.com. in Alabama covers the Crimson Tide. Um, I think that everybody is going to um, like his perspective. And listen, I know a lot of Bills fans, oh, Rodak is so negative, blah, 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 blah. He covered some really bad teams while he was in Buffalo. So let's welcome in Mike Rodak to the show. You've been great. Guys like Jerry Sullivan, who I know some people don't like it either. Um, Let's have him on here, and and it's going to be a great conversation. We're going to do a live mock draft. We're going to have Mike K. from uh, NJ.com, who covers the Eagles. Really has some really good outlook on the the NFL as well, and we'll make it through that. Don't miss tonight, Channel 4. Uh, It's going to be streaming online, WIVB.com. Head over there at 730. We're going to have our special mock draft special. Uh, So you'll want to see that it's going to be in studio. I'm excited about uh, heading over there. It's, it hasn't been a lot of in studio stuff this year, Ryan, because of COVID. So that'd be fun. Um, And so we got the big show tomorrow. I'm excited about that as well. Uh, A couple things in the, in the hopper here. Uh, But Brandon Bean, your big takeaway or your biggest takeaway. We'll get into a couple of them from yesterday's press conference.
0: I'm definitely questioning the direction of the first round pick now. You, you know, when we did our mock draft, when I did my second one, when we did the one last week, we all kind of landed on Caleb Farley at, at number 30. And now I'm, I'm starting to think that even if he's there, I'm not sure, so sure the bills take taken because Brandon Bean talked about the medical aspect and there's a lot of information that's not there uh, it, it, like there would be in a normal year. He mentioned the pick being not just for this year and in the future. So is it a developmental pass rusher? Is it going to be an offensive lineman maybe thinking long-term for uh, Mitch, maybe Mitch Morse's replacement? Just an example there. So I I, I guess this is his job as the GM. I'm just as confused as ever in terms of what direction the Bills are going to go in, which, you know, that's a good problem to have because they don't have any glaring needs. But he he definitely shed some light and maybe eliminated some possibilities for me. What about you?
2: Yeah, and to your point, it's like there was mixed signals throughout that whole interview, right? Like at one hand, you're sitting here and he says, you know, what you just talked about and the fact that, you know, there are some medical concerns. I don't know if those guys will be in play, but he's also talking about like, you know, we'll have the long, you know, the the, the, the wide picture and not just 2021, but 2022 and 23 in mind when they're making these picks. So I think that for me – it's going to come down to how good is that player? Because at the end of the day, if they like the conversations they have with it, with the player and the tape stands up for a player, I still think that, you know, they're going to have confidence to make that pick. Now, if there's serious question marks, like you mentioned Caleb Farley, I mean, two back surgeries, that's, that's no small deal. You know, an ACL injury for a player could be something that, you know, you, you causes pause. But don't forget, this is the team that, you know, drafted Harrison Phillips in the third round a couple of years ago and has developed him. And he's even gone on to have an ACL injury, but he's still played quite a bit of snaps for them over the, over the three years that he's been here with a big year four coming up. Um, you know, I, I think that that was a big takeaway for me. Uh, another big takeaway is just how he's viewing the defensive end class. And that's something that, you know, I was able to ask him about and, you know, put up a story today at the site about, you know, what happened in Kansas city what they learned from that in the 90 days since that game and how they're applying that to the draft. And you know, he was Frank. He said, listen, there isn't that top guy uh, in this draft. I mean, chase young last year, Joey Bosa the year before you're not going to have that guy, but there are some guys that he feels like can come in here and make plays. And he got a little bit specific when he said what he's looking for. And it's, he wants a player that's instinctive plays. Instinctive has the ability to change course when, when the play dictates you do so because you go back to that Kansas city game and that's the kind of plays that you have to make against Patrick Mahomes. When things are going a certain way, that's just when he flips the script makes a, a, an off uh, you know, uh, off script play. And that's when things get chaotic for defenses and they continue to struggle. Um, But he said, you know, speedy linebackers, you know, I think they have two speedy linebackers on the roster right now, Milano and Tremaine Edmond, but does that mean that they want to maybe add more? You know, obviously looking at the secondary, where can you add there a a, a better option at cornerback too, I think is always going to be something that, you know, could be in play depending on the value, but it goes back to this and we bang this drum so much over the course of draft season. And you have to remember it when you're going through all of these different like scenarios and everything like that at 30, they're going to sit, go to the podium if a trade doesn't wow them, whether it be up or down and they're going to take the best player on the board on their board. And, and so that could be any position. I mean, really that could be, you know, you might not think that they need a safety, but who knows, maybe they have Trayvon, uh, Maring ranked, you know, as a first round talent, like they, uh, a, a mid first round grade. And they say, you know what, we're going here, even though we have Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, and who knows, maybe they can use him in a big nickel role or something in the meantime and, and let him kind of develop behind those guys. but, I just think you got to take your what you. I think a lot of people judge, and we've been joking about this too on the shows these mock drafts, they judge them on if they're reality. Most mock drafts are not being done in an attempt to predict what a team's going to do. We don't have enough information to do that. But what we can do is present scenarios for when a situation arises in the draft, whether it be a trade up or trade down, if you're picking a 30, what the Bills might do in that scenario and what you'd like them to do. And, and, even just remember, too, you know, I put out that Jason O.A. Uh, mock draft, and you know it was a big section of Bills fans. There's the train. Honk, honk. I love it. 2-2, I should say. Trains don't honk, right? They, they, they <laughs> um, put out this mock draft, and there was a little section of Bills mafia that wasn't thrilled with it. They don't like Jason O.A., Aaron Maben 2.0, whatever. You know, go back and read some of your tweets and your text messages in 2018 when the Bills drafted Josh Allen, and I know he's a very – once in a in a generation type of situation, the way that he's panned out, the way that he has. But listen, I I don't think you could judge a draft on draft night. As much as you like or don't like a prospect, I think it's it's about letting them get into a situation. And you know, some of these traitsy guys on the line, Ryan. He, it's another thing, Brandon. Bean said, we want to look at the speed, the explosiveness off the line of scrimmage. Like we think that some things, they think that some things, whether it be technique or footwork or just parts of how they approach the game and the position can be coached and can be fixed and can be taught. And so I think that those are the kinds of guys that, you know, when you're picking at number 30 in the in a first round pick, a second round pick, those are the kinds of guys that I think, you know, be prepared to maybe hear some of those names.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, you know, I'm not going to say that they're going to go out and, and make a surprise pick like a Greg Russo or or a Joe Tryon, but those are some names that you're starting to hear from these draft analysts saying, oh, you know, that some of them are being talked about as first-round picks now or really early day two, so they could hover in that first round. You just never know. The, the draft mm-hmm. is a crapshoot. The way these teams evaluate players is a lot different than – uh, even the Mel Kuipers of the world and the Daniel Jeremiah's of the world. They're definitely in tune with these teams. There's no doubt about that, but there's so much that goes into drafting these players. So you just have to kind of trust the judgment of these teams uh, specifically in the bills in this case, that they're going to do what's best for them, not just now, but like Brandon Bean said, long-term. So maybe it is a developmental defensive end. Maybe it's a wide receiver. You know, we, we touched upon that too. Emmanuel Sanders, one year, Cole Beasley, uh, is on the other side of 30, obviously, you have Isaiah McKenzie, one-year deal. They want to maybe think long-term opposite Stefan Diggs, who's that going to be, or with Gabriel Davis as a 1-2-3. So anything's possible. He talked about the running backs. Just have fun with the Bills Mafia because in less than two weeks, it'll be draft night. It'll be uh, a fun night. It's one of the best nights of the year, especially that day one and day two of the draft. You're a draft nerd, Ryan. I am. You be open. You love it. You're, you're going to no
2: settle in on Thursday. You're calling in sick on Friday. And you're just getting – actually, you don't have to call in sick because it doesn't, it doesn't start until <laughs> late on Friday. But it's all draft all weekend long. And let's get into another piece of this yesterday. One of the big topics that came up was Josh Allen and the extension as we continue to kind of follow that storyline. And I'm kind of getting the sense that, like, if you're digging in and waiting this offseason for an extension, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily the best idea. I get the sense that both sides of this would be more than happy to kick the can for a season and, and figure this out next year. Let pick up the fifth-year option, head to head to the offseason when they'll have a better idea of what this looks like. I'm not ruling out them getting the thing done this offseason. It's Brandon Bean. We know he's pretty uh aggressive he's pretty uh, with it he's on the ball and he want and he does he did say yesterday I do want to get it done because I, it, it then will set in place a lot of things for us for planning purposes as we start to look at next year's salary cap and what we need to do with the roster what kind of space we'll have so I don't rule it out but I I at the same time kind of sit here and wonder and going back to Josh Allen's interview on the Kyle Brandt podcast I get the sense that there's no rush on either side and more, maybe more so Josh's side As he kind of lets this thing play out, see if there's any other contracts that come up and 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 take the time necessary to get the number that maybe he wants. I did think it was interesting though, Ryan. He did say yesterday that Brandon, that you know, Josh is the kind of guy that he's a competitive guy, and he's not gonna be one of these people that takes all the money for himself and doesn't leave money for, you know, the re- the rest of the roster so that they can have field competitive teams. I thought that was an interesting little tidbit because, you know, this that 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 lowers my expectation what what this final AAV could look like.
0: Yeah, and and this way you can manipulate your the contract so it doesn't eat up too much on a year by year basis with with bonuses and things like that. But I could certainly see Josh Allen saying I want to make sure that I'm paid well and among the the top quarterbacks in this league, but I want to make sure there's enough money for weapons to continuously be around me so that if we're missing a piece on the defense side of the ball, they can go out and pursue that. Because when a player does take up that bulk of the money, it usually doesn't take long for that Super Bowl window to shut because it gets harder and harder to build a team around a player. But like you said, uh, Josh Allen's agent's probably in no rush. You know there's a new contract, a TV contract coming in here that's going to make the league a lot of money. Even though Brandon Bean said numerous times he's not expecting a major jump in the salary cap next year, I could see it taking a sizable leap. Uh, And he's also shown on certain players, they will negotiate in-season. I know a lot of the times players, agents, GMs, they don't like that. But when you're talking about a franchise quarterback, if you have to get it done in-season, you're going to get it done in-season. So maybe it doesn't get done after the draft before the start of this year, but I'm sure talks will be on going throughout until both sides can reach some kind of happy. Immediate.
2: Oh, we, we just had a, a Ryan freeze moment there.
0: Oh, did nice. I?
2: Yeah. I can't wait to screen grab that. I want to have a new uh, Twitter uh, cover photo. <laughs> Very wonderful. nice. It was like one of these. <laughs> that was great. Um, Another uh, topic of discussion is the fifth-year option on Tremaine Edmonds. And did you get the sense? I don't know. Listening to him talk about that and the you know, how cash-strapped that they might be in in giving, you know, a, a fifth-year option to Tremaine Edmonds at twelve and a half million when they're about to, you know, have to put a lot of money towards Josh Allen. I don't know if that's necessarily a slam dunk. Where where, where are you kind of sitting? I, I think it's risky not to do it. But I do think that, and I think that they want to do it. Like I think, if from my perspective, I, I feel like from every conversation you have with anybody in you know in the building that has any type of decision making, you know Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, anybody else that you hear talk, they, they love Tremaine Edmonds. They love what he brings in the in the building, his leadership, the fact that he's you know only 22 and has had some pretty solid production at times, really good at times, underwhelming. I think they want to do it. I just think that they're in a situation where they might have to of not do it and, and maybe see if they can't come to a similar type of deal like they did with Matt Milano as he kind of continues to ascend. But the, the risk that you take in not picking it up too is if Tremaine Evans goes out and has an unbelievable year and then becomes a commodity potentially on the open market, you risk losing him, especially if by not picking up your his fifth year option, he takes that as some sort of slight. So there's all these moving parts to this now. And, and this is a real interesting one, way more so than the Josh Allen one, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be an, an outstanding season for Tremaine Edmonds in terms of his play. If he just has a really good season, a Shaq Lawson type. Remember Shaq Lawson, fifth year option, not picked up, has his best season with the Bills, right. and then he makes $10 million uh, in, in free agency on and average. To your
2: point, and to your point, you can have a great season and in Tremaine Edmonds' position and not have it be like, you know, there is no real like t- stat for middle line. I mean, gets tackled for a loss if you want, um, p- passes defended. But the the real barometer for Shaq Lawson was sacks. That was that Mm -hmm. one thing that people zeroed in. For Tremaine Edmonds, if he has 140 tackles and ups everything else, to your point,
0: right on the money. Right, and you factor in the age, you factor in, and I don't know how much teams weigh in Pro Bowls and things like that because a lot goes into who makes those teams. But a lot will factor into it. So if the Bills don't pick up the fifth-year option, I think there would be a market for him no matter what, and the Bills would have to be pretty smart about uh, negotiating with him and how to do it. But, yeah, I agree that they kind of left the door slightly open in terms of saying it's not 100% uh, sure that they'll do it. They're leaving themselves a very little window. That said, I think they said, well, discuss it after the draft draft ends on what may 1st may 2nd and i think the fifth year option is what may 3rd so you're talking about a matter of 48 to 72 hours in terms of making those decisions i'm sure that they have a pretty good idea what they're going to do but maybe he's hinting at if the right player comes along in this draft that we think long term could fill that role uh they won't hesitate to do it i'm not sure so i definitely not the slam dunk that josh allen's fifth year option is Right.
2: All right. Some great stuff from Brandon Bean yesterday. Some great insight. You can listen to that whole thing. It's up on the, on YouTube. Uh, I believe the bills posted it. We have a couple stories up at the website. Ryan's actually going to put together his next mock draft using Brandon beans press conference as kind of a guide. And that's going to be a fun read. I'm excited uh, to dive into it when you get that done. A couple other notes. Don't forget about the zoom call. If you want more shout podcast and more of a casual um, setting We're going to do a live Zoom with Bills fans next Tuesday night, 6 to 8 p.m. We're going to have some special guests jump into the chat. Um, I know right now we have Nate Geary. Sal Capaccio is going to come by for a little bit. Uh, I believe Marcel Louis-Jacques even hinted that he might pop in a little bit. And uh, who knows? You never know who could come in this. There might be some that come that I don't even publicize. So. Uh, If you want to get involved with that, either hit me up on Twitter, get in my DMs, email me, mperino at nyup.com, and we'll get you in the mix there. We're excited about that. We're also going to be giving away some shout shirts. So that's going to be exciting as well. I got to get you yours, Ryan. I'm I'm probably just going to send it out to you so you can have it before the show. Uh, And then tomorrow, uh, uh, podcast live, Mock Draft 2.0, Mike Rodak and Mike K from
0: NJ.com. We're excited about that. Final thought. Final thought, tune in to channel four tonight to watch this guy, Matt Perino, with his mock draft. Don't miss it.
2: I put in my pick for it and um I'm second guessing myself already based <laughs> on I put it in before the Brandon Bean press conference. So I'm gonna I'm to drop that caveat in when I when I talk about it. But I still think if this dude is there, it, it, it's a run of the podium type of thing from some of the things that I've I've read and heard about him. So for Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. Thank you so much. Doug Flutie was awesome. We hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Uh, And we will see you tomorrow. Take care, everyone.